of the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, October 1st. Hope everybody out there is doing well. TigerIllustrated.com, busy day for the site. Started early this morning. We broke the story of Brad Brownell's new contract. Plenty of details and sort of finer points of that on the website right now. Some further analysis uh, and insight on the football team's struggles right now, particularly on the offensive line, which could be in for another shakeup against Boston College on Saturday night. For more on that and a whole lot of other stuff, TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions. You can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu Okay, to our interview with Scott Hamilton, current sports radio host in the Charleston area. Man, what a ride it has been for him. Started out in newspapers, has been in magazines, has been the TV news anchor, has worked in sales for a minor league baseball team, has worked in client acquisitions for Shatterbox. What a ride for Scott Hamilton. We're going to learn more about his story right here. Here we go. Okay, joined by Scott Hamilton, who I know of, but I don't really know. I was on your Charleston radio show earlier this week, and uh, I thought, I didn't know that guy was in radio now. <laughs> and so I'm like, sounds like an interesting story. So thanks for joining us. Buddy, I'm tickled to death to be here. Glad for, uh, glad for the invitation. All right, so going down a list of things you have done uh, professionally <laughs> might take about 30 minutes and that's really to me the fascinating part of of your story so right now you're at charleston sports radio mm-hmm. espn 98.9 in uh the charleston area and what i knew of you uh, uh from was when you were the sports columnist at the winston-salem journal and i think before that in wilmington is that right that is correct i uh i was in wilmington for about five years i covered um is a sweet gig, actually, man. It was UNCW men's basketball and golf. That was it. That's all I did year round. Wow. Yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it really was, Larry. I mean, uh, the, that was such a big mover for the paper. Um, 
uh, it was incredible the budget we had for that and traveled every game home and away every practice and then as soon as basketball season was over I accrued so much comp time that uh, all I did between basically April and October was go to pro golf tournaments here and there it was awesome so uh, at fairly regular intervals on this podcast uh, I, I we, we delve into media folks who have who have had to learn to adapt <laughs> to the to the realities of whatever landscape it is, whether it's newspapers or or radio or whatever. Uh, last week we had on Joe Giglio, uh, who worked at the Raleigh News and Observer newspaper for decades, and who is now in radio. And so, if you can give me maybe the Cliffs notes of how you, I mean, you've done TV. And, yeah. and radio, and let's see, um, you worked for a minor league baseball team based on something that I read. You also did uh, you, you, you did your client acquisitions for Shatterbox. <laughs> what? Man, you've done it. How, how long is podcast you? again? We're going to have a minute. How many trees had have to be killed for you to submit a resume, buddy? It's it's not what I intended. I can tell you that. Um, I don't. I don't even know where to begin, Larry. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you know, we've been in, we've been in media, for lack of a better word, for decades. And you know, I, I'm, I'll just give you full disclosure. I'm 48. Mm-hmm. My first newspaper job was 1998, and it might as well have been 1898. And things have changed so much, and the thing that is really been challenging is you have to constantly reinvent yourself you know to, as you had said uh it's it, uh, and, and and you have to do it more often now you know when, yeah. when we first we first got into business all you had to go do is write your gamer write your notebook write your advance <laughs> write your follow-up you know that, that was it somebody else took the photographs video well you know it was usually a photographer took the video but now you got to do it all and um it's it's been a challenge. It's been a real challenge, and you know the the industry's been so volatile. For gosh, I'll say I'll I I pinpoint the moment of volatility beginning when the iPhone was released. It just it just changed everything, and um, the past thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years has, have been incredible. Um, I guess I, I was a traditional newspaper guy up until I shifted to magazines, went to sports business journal, which was the best on the job training a person could have for learning about sports business. And I was only there briefly. And then I got an offer at golf week magazine. And you talk about the land of milk and honey. That was wonderful. But, uh, through whatever issues happened there, they ended up eliminating positions and it was during the great recession. So I ended up getting out of the business for a couple of years and a friend of mine owned the minor league baseball team in Lexington, Kentucky. And he's like, come work for me. And I'm like, well, I'm like, what am I going to do? Be pitching coach or something? And he goes, no, he says, work, work in the front office, you know, sell advertising. And, and I thought about it, Larry, and you know, it's kind of funny. And, and I hope this is something that you, you can relate to somewhat sales and journalism have two things in common. You have to have two traits to be successful at either. One, you obviously have to be able to communicate. And two, 
you have to be able to build and develop relationships because sales and stories don't always fall in your lap. You have to have people who are going to give you leads and give you referrals and point you in the right direction. And, you know, it's crazy. I, I ended up joining the sales staff. There were about 12 people there. Never sold a thing in my life. And I ended up having 49% of all new business. <laughs> and it was great. It was great. Except on game days when I would have to change out of my, my tie and my, my button-up shirt and have to put on a polo and khaki shorts and go park cars. And it just felt it just felt it just felt wrong for me because once you've been in the media in some regard, you can't help it. It's there, there's something about it. And I made a decision. I ended up taking another sales job, but even then, I had one eye to getting back into journalism media. And uh, I just I just I just knew that if I went back into the world of journalism, back into the world of media, I would have to be a triple threat. And I would have to, you know, evolve and, and develop talents that I had never considered before. And um, by the grace of God, I fell into the columnist gig in Winston-Salem, taking over for the great Lennox Rawlings. So you went straight yeah. from the sales job to that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, what it was, it's kind of convoluted, but it's one of those deals where they get a rush of resumes. I mean, you know, that's a great job. Yeah. And you're Sports replacing columnist. a legend. A legend. And they brought me in house as a news reporter for a few months first, but but until they posted the position, he had already retired. But um that helped transition me in. But it was I I can't you know, to have a to have a a columnist got a gig is one I mean, that's wonderful in and of itself. But to have that job that had only been occupied by really only like a couple of people for the previous 45 years yeah, at a well-respected newspaper at a place where, I mean, it was the heart of ACC country. And I just felt like it was more than I deserved. And I got up every daggone day, tickled to death to have it every day. Just so happy. And along the way, um, and you'll, you'll like this part. It's a nice little side side note here. We're at the U.S. Open in 2014 in Pinehurst. And, you know, I'll just be fully transparent again. Being the columnist, you're usually done earlier than everybody. So so myself and Ed Harden are uh, back at the house we're renting and <laughs> sipping on some wine and grilling some steaks. And Ed brings up the idea, you know what we need is a talk show in the triad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. So I run into this woman by happenstance, and she goes, you're Scott Hamilton. You know, you're a columnist. I'm like, yeah, yeah. She goes, oh, well, I read your column and all that. And I go, oh, what do you do? And she goes, oh, well, I'm sales director for WSJS, you know, here in Winston. And I went, hmm, let me ask you a question. And then I ran <laughs> by the idea of a show, and a few meetings later, we're on the air. And not just on one station, but we ended up being on quite a few. How long was it? Like, like how long? How much time elapsed between that conversation and the time you were on the air? But from the time I, from the time Ed and I spoke to the time I was on the air, about three months. Wow! Because I just I read it was it was serendipity or divine intervention, whatever you want to say, that I ran into this woman and we we hit the fast track. I mean, they, it turned out they had already been mulling it. There was a vacuum for it, and so I I co Larry. To my first day of my show, don't know what I'm doing. 
no clue, buddy. No clue. And I go and they have me in an auxiliary studio in the building. And this building's old. And they've got me a table set up that's way too short. And they've got it sitting on stacks of CDs under each of the four legs. <laughs> I sit down in the chair. It breaks. <laughs> There's no microphone. Five minutes till kickoff, they're rustling to get me a microphone. <laughs> and now, because I don't know what I'm doing. Now, I had filled in on one of the, like, the news talk shows on a holiday just so they could hear what I sound like and stuff. Nobody was listening anyhow. So I kind of knew what I was doing a little bit, but I didn't know what I was doing. It was a three-hour talk show, Larry. I had eight guests booked. Eight. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, man. So we're getting ready to kick off. We're going to do a little intro. We're going to bring on Kyle Petty. I, I texted Kyle Petty. I said, man, you know, I got the show. Can you come on? He's like, yeah, man, anything you need. How do you know Kyle Petty? Uh, just by being a columnist at the Winston-Salem okay. Journal. All right. Uh, you know, the heart of NASCAR and all that. And I texted Kyle, and he said, yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Be the first guest. Be great. <sighs> Kyle was on hold for about 20 minutes because they couldn't <laughs> get the phones figured out. <laughs> Finally, I got up, and I told the general manager, I said, I can't do this. I quit. <laughs> so, he said, just calm down. He said, we'll get it fixed. Come back tomorrow. And I went back the next day, and the phone was fixed, and they had me a new chair. And I uh, I ended up being on the air there for about about four years, three years. And um, we're going to fast forward to April of 2017. And uh, I was at the NASCAR race in Martinsville, one of my favorite places. Favorite place. I'm not a big NASCAR fan per se, but Martinsville is like Wrigley Field. You, you go, and it's wonderful. And I get a text from the managing editor. Hey, I need you to come see me tomorrow. And I went, oh, God. Of the paper, I yeah. Mm -hmm. I go, I know what this means. Because it's Masters Week, too. And um, they had already eliminated a couple of us from going to the Masters. And I said, just tell me. And he goes, no, I just come in tomorrow. And finally, I just called him. I said, what's going on? And he said, listen, I'm not supposed to tell you, but we're making cutbacks. And, you know, columnist is a luxury position. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll see you in a week. I'm going to Augusta. <laughs> I said, you don't have to pay me, but I'm going to use my credential. And uh, I went and we came back and, you know, I did my buyout and all that stuff, my severance. And um, everything was fine. Still having a radio show, Larry. Still having a radio show, doing some freelance writing. You know what? Everything's going to be good. Until right before Labor Day and I get called in and told, well, we're going to make a format change. Or get rid of your radio show. <laughs> so I went from having two jobs that I loved to uh, trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my life. And I sat around for a couple months. And finally, I, I got I, I called a friend of mine named Tim Guidereth. You probably know I know Tim. Tim, yes. I knew him yep. when I worked at the Augusta Chronicle. Yep. Exactly. Columnist at the Savannah Morning News. Yep. And he transitioned to television about 10 years ago. And I called Tim, and I said, Timmy, I said, what do you do, how hard is it, and can I do it? He goes, oh, it'd be great. You can do it. Oh, you know, you've got the radio background, too. Uh, so the man who had hired him was now like a regional news director for Raycom or whatever, and he contacted me, and he said, send me some writing samples, send me some radio. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I also had a few videos, because when we would go places, you know, we had to 
do videos. So Ed, Ed Harden and I would usually do a video together, whatever game or event we were at. And wait, Ed called me back. Wait, wait now, so were Ed, you and Ed doing radio together? No, 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 no. Ed, that was the plan initially, but it kind of diverted off because Ed see. decided he liked to fish too much. He liked to fish? Oh, yeah, Ed, yeah, he's all about <laughs> fishing, man. He texted me today, as a matter of fact. Oh, he's, he's a piece of work. But that's that's a good man right there. That's a, that's another story for another time. We'll have our own Ed Harden podcast. That sounds but, uh, great. But I ended up they facilitated these. He said you can do television. They facilitated interviews, and um, I ended up going to Wilmington, and basically had my own midday digital show that was basically talk radio with a camera, sports, uh, anything I wanted. It was whatever I wanted. It was unbelievable. So on the, was, on the TV's website? Yes. But it wasn't and on actual television? No, not at this point. I see. And what they did was they had gotten some money from the parent company to do some innovative stuff, so they decided to create a digital studio. And I really think it's the wave of the future. And they did it primarily because, you know, in Wilmington, the hurricanes – and they could be on weather basically 24 hours a day if there are storms coming, as long as they have power. And uh, what we what we set up was a, a midday show, one hour, called News Now. No commercials. It was me, a computer, and I had four monitors in front of me that I could flip to, like, you know, hey, here's a look at traffic here. Here's a look, And I, I ran the whole show. And I had them hook Skype up to it so that I could open up the world, basically. So I could do Skype interviews with people from wherever and try to localize national and international stories. And we would take some of those interviews and then slice them up. And then I would front them on the evening news. You know, hey, you know, uh, here's an example. It happens to be sports, but this is a pretty good example. Um, I had on Mick Mixon, longtime voice of the Carolina Panthers on the show. And we were talking about the new owner, David Tepper. So, you know, it was a pretty big news story. Uh, about the changes they were making and changes to the stadium and so on. So what we did is we took the interview I did at noon, we sliced it up. And then on the six o'clock news, they would do the deal where the anchor would go, Hey, you know, our you know, big changes with the Carolina Panthers, our Scott Hamilton spoke to Mick Mixon today, bah, 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 and then they would toss it to me at somewhere else in the studio. I would front it. Yeah. You know, big changes, blah, blah, blah. They would show part of the interview, come back to me and that's it. And that's how you can multi-purpose one piece of, news one 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 interview so i did that for a few months and then i didn't have a contract and i got offered an anchor job in uh, my home state of west virginia and i became an evening news anchor like news not sports no i was news i was good evening i'm ron burgundy <laughs> yeah that was me man makeup wow. and everything that was me i learned how to do the turn you know like in scott hamilton <laughs> you do the turn and look at yeah. the camera and <laughs> It was it was crazy. It was so much fun though, Larry. And but here here was my biggest challenge, Larry, is that you know when you write something for news, it's got to be about you know a, a package. You know, is two minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm you know and it's supposed to be you know I would write a column. <laughs> it was, you know, I remember my first script I wrote. Uh, executive editor <laughs> executive producer in Wilmington came over and he goes look I know what you're trying to do here but this needs to be about 30 seconds we and don't, we don't need a 900 word column it times out to four and a half minutes 
He's like, but I'm like, well, people need to know this is important and this is important. He goes, no. He said, look, he said, just as bare bones as you can get, man. So uh, I had to learn how to write for television. So that was cool. And it was just, uh, it was different, man. It was different. And then I started having some, you know, personal issues, health wise, things like that. I'm fine now. I'm now. But um, I got offered for the new Sports Illustrated product, Maven. Mm-hmm. And they were interested in me covering the Panthers. And that was pretty cool, except everybody's an independent contractor. But it was still working out okay. And then COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, kind of floundered around until I landed at ESPN Charleston. And here, here I am. And I'm... I can say I have done it all. I just gave you a very long-winded answer to uh, how did I get to this point, but it's it's been a ride, man. It's whew, I can do everything, man. Everything. How long have you been in Charleston? Almost a month. Oh, that's it. Wow. That's it, man. Um, we started talking. I approached the owner. Some pretty unique ideas. He liked it. We had some mutual friends who vetted for me. And, you know, my mentor was the great Ken Berger. Oh, man. First person I called when my son was born. Wow. I can tell you stories. And um, he and Ken were very close. And um, actually, uh, we'll go back one even better. So I knew Ken, and through Ken, I met Andy Solomon. Yep. Great guy. And through Andy Solomon, I met Gil Kirkland, the owner of Kirkland Broadcasting. And here I am. What were... What was sort of your pitch? Pitch. You said some unique ideas. Like what? What do? You, what are you when you're when you're trying to sell well, somebody on doing a show? What? What is your niche? Well, I'm not a hot take artist. I'm not a traditional radio guy. I think there's value, Larry. And this is kind of to maybe to the point of your podcast. There's value in having someone who isn't just a radio specialist on the radio. Look, who is the most successful member of the media, would you say, in college sports, specifically the Southeast? Paul Feinbaum. Paul Feinbaum. Paul Feinbaum's roots are as a columnist. And I think having somebody with traditional journalism roots has incredible value because, first of all, it should enhance your credibility. It should also enhance your ability to communicate without screaming, yelling, all that, and how to properly frame an argument for something. And also how to properly interview somebody instead of just asking random questions or the the worst question of all, which is not really a question, tell us about. Talk about. <laughs> Talk about. Oh, man, don't, don't get me started on that. Or just saying something, expecting a response. No, an interviewer asks questions, and a traditional journalist does that. And so I framed it like that. I framed it that, you know, my experience, 20 plus years, I've been a Heisman voter, top 25. I'm I'm still on Feinbaum's show even before I, even when I didn't have a job, Paul would have me on every couple months. So um, there was value in that. And just a, a, a deep Rolodex of contacts that I've developed over the years by having such a diverse background, people I've met through my days as a basketball beat writer, people I met through my days working at golf week, people I met as a columnist and even in the sales world, you wouldn't believe some of the contacts I made there that have turned out to be beneficial in this life. It's, it's crazy, but it's all come together so perfectly well. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed more than I deserve. I'll tell you that. 
How did you facilitate the relationship with Feinbaum going on his show and all that? How did that start? They they first reached out to me. Um, do you remember the WikiLeaks scandal? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, that, and for your listeners, I'll give them the the, the quick pitch. It was um, radio's color Wake Forest Wake Forest athletics football color analyst was giving out plays to the opposition. He was, well, I mean, he was a former, he was a former player, former assistant. And then when the new coaching staff came in, they still, he became the color analyst, but they still let him sit in during meetings and all that. And then he would just call his buddies like, uh, you know, Ronnie Galloway, the, an assistant coach at Louisville. Hey, guess what? Wake's <laughs> going to run against y'all this week. Or, you know what? Hey, Shane Beamer. That's right. That's right. Yes. So Shane Beamer, who by then was at Georgia Tech, but he was at Virginia Tech at the time. He was part of Wakey League. So uh, being the columnist at the Journal and, you know, the radio dude, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, Ryan McGee said, man, we need to get you on, you know, Paul's show. Ryan McGee and I are friends. I said, man, that'd be great. Because there's actually a magazine article they did on me in Winston-Salem Monthly when I got my show. And I said, Paul Feinbaum is my hero. So um, they called. They said, "Can you come on?" And I was actually doing my show. I said, "Heck yeah!" So I, <laughs> I made him made him run a best of for a bit, <laughs> some old interviews, and I went out and did a phoner with Paul. And um, they, he just passed on his information. He wanted to stay in touch, and we stayed in touch. And there you go. When I would, you know, during the before time, before COVID, I would go in the studio when I would do my hits. After that, but. Um, We've mainly Skyped since then, but uh, he's been a tremendous resource. And when he was actually my first guest here in Charleston, because um, I told him, so, Paul, here's what I got going on. You know, would, can you come on? And he's like, absolutely. Just tell me when. Um, because he actually, we were in the studio one day and he, he it, it was a funny moment, Larry. He said, Scott, you and I are kindred spirits of sorts. <laughs> He said, we're both columnists at heart. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sitting there thinking this is this guy who's 20 years older than me, Jewish man from Tennessee. <laughs> and here I am, you know, younger, half as smart, twice as heavy, son of a coal miner. But we've bonded over this shared passion for journalism and having this, you know, having our souls stained with ink. And I, I just thought that was so cool, man. So cool. He's also in a much bigger t- tax bracket. Yes, he is. Now, when you say you went into the studio with him, that's the Charlotte studio, I presume? Yeah. Yeah, down in South Charlotte. That's down, right. Uh, they had the SEC, um, ESPNU and SEC network. They've moved quite a bit of that to Bristol, but um, they still have, they still have a pretty, pretty good facility down there. I want to, I don't know, I'll tell you about my take on Feinbaum, and you you you, you might disagree. Um, definite, you know, former newspaper guy, like you said, columnist who has that background. Um, but my question about him in his current role is: How often is he saying what he really believes, and how often is he just saying something just to provoke? Um, to sort of feed the beast. You, you get where I'm going? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's... Um, his takes have gotten hotter. <laughs> and, I say that, yeah, and I say that not out of any sort of... 
sure. Bitterness no. of any or anything is anything he said about Clemson or whatever, but I just the ESPN th- there's this pressure. Um if you're on the air for three hours a day and you're competing with Stephen A. Smith, it feels like there's this pressure to 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 not say, Yeah, I'm not sure about what I think about that. <laughs> you know, it's it's always well, it always has to be this guy sucks or this team's the worst ever or the best ever. Uh, they're done, you know, things like that, which I don't know. I just, I've heard Feinbaum away from his show. Actually, it was an interview with Tom yeah. Tomlinson. Oh, yeah, I know Tom. Um, and I came away from that interview thinking, this sounds like a totally different dude because he's super nice, super smart and intelligent. And anyway, many, all, all, all props to him for turning that into, you know, a massive living I just don't know if I could, if I could he's do more, that. He, he's look when he's giving these incredibly hot takes. They're they're usually and and he he says some things on his program absolutely, but they're usually on another program with these hot right. take artists in the morning. That's true. That's a good point. And, and I, I that's him evolving. I mean, part of the deal, and I can't speak for him, and I don't know everything obviously about his you know, contracts and things like that. But I know when his contract came up, he wanted a larger role at ESPN. He didn't want to be just the mouth of the South. He wanted to be a national brand. Unfortunately, we're in a place where the only way you're really going to do that is if you're creating controversy, if you're giving that hot take. I I will say this, and you picked up on it with his interview with Tommy. He is an incredibly thoughtful man. Incredibly, there there have been callers. I'll give you one specific example. There was a caller on his show named Tammy. She would call in regularly. I mean, and she would lose her mind. And that's what his <laughs> callers do. They lose their mind. Tammy was killed in a car wreck a couple of years ago with, I believe, her granddaughter or her niece. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I apologize for not knowing specifically which. Paul went to her funeral. Wow. He And that's not the first one he's gone to. And he's... He's done things like that for for viewers and listeners, same person pretty much nowadays. But it, I can see him at his core feeling probably, I don't know, maybe he's having fun with the hot takes. You know, that gives him a chance to finally not be what he's been for 50 years. I can't really speak for him, but I, I see your point. Um, at the end of the day, though, I will say this. I would trust his opinion, and maybe it's because I gulp all the Kool-Aid, I would trust his opinion over 99% of the people in the media. In part because he has relationships with a lot of these coaches, right? Well, I would, that is in part. And, and I really, I really have a hard time believing that he would betray his journalistic, journalistic ethics. Mm-hmm. At, 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 again, at his core, he is a newspaper guy. He, he is a newspaper guy, and if he and honestly, I I believe that if he could, he would just write a column. Right. He, I would. I would right now. But those jobs don't exist; they're gone. And the biggest challenge that I've experienced, and I'm going to lay down on the couch now and just open up my soul, is is that I I was at a point in my career where I had to do something different. I had to do radio because there are no columnist jobs. There are no good newspaper jobs, no good magazine jobs. And I'm too young for a buyout. And I'm too old to be the kid who's making beer money and works 
75, 80 hours a week. This was my best option. Yep. You know, it's crazy. The Charlotte Observer, for for example, um, 15, 20 years ago, <clears throat> their Panthers, their lead Panthers writer is probably making, I don't know what, like 120 or something? Probably. Somewhere around there. Now, probably. The, nothing against the people that are currently covering the Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Don't don't misunderstand. But they're making maybe thirty five. Let's phrase it like this: the industry scale has shifted, and it has nothing to do with talent. It's just where it is now in your life. It's where where we are as as an industry, where we are as a, as a nation, where we are as an economy. And, you know, who's to say that this person isn't less or more or less sure. talented than the person was 20 years ago? It's just what the scale is now. And it's sad. It's sad. Because I, I truly think we've really lost something by not having the daily newspaper. We, we really have. I Nothing against television, because I'm a guy that can speak speak on both sides. I've been on both sides of the fence. You don't get what you need completely from television. You don't. And it's nothing against that medium. But we still need local television, believe me. But if you really want good reporting, if you really want people who are going to dig deep and tell a story, both stories that are important, both to keep maybe you know, government leaders in check, so on and so forth, and then also just telling stories of people, you've got to have a newspaper. And, and we don't have it anymore. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Because growing up, that was... That was probably the highlight of my day on a lot of days. Not that I grew up in a bad childhood or anything, but I just I loved going and getting the paper. We had an afternoon paper, and it was it was awesome. And I'm talking about when I'm eight years old, going to get the paper, and and not, not to have that now, and to pay five bucks for twenty pages on a Sunday. Whew. Yeah, well, it's a vicious cycle because the. Uh, the ad revenue goes down uh, because the, you know, belks and things like that aren't, uh, car dealerships aren't uh, advertising anymore. And so then you have to cut staff. And then so your product, you're asking people to pay more. So then you have to increase the price of the product. So you're asking people to pay more for a decidedly lesser product, which then affects your subscriptions and circulation because people, people know the gig is up or a lot of people do. Yeah. And, um, and now it's now it's now it's a joke. Yeah, just uh, like two weeks ago, uh, and I, again, I'm not singling out anybody, uh, ridiculing anybody. I'm just using this as an example. Uh, when Clemson played South Carolina State, <clears throat> a sensation, I guess, was created when some students started doing some claw hand gesture or something. Yeah, yeah, and, I remember that. And so, you know, it really wasn't on my radar because. It's a few students. <laughs> you know, right. I don't care if it's 10 of them or 200 of them. Who cares, right? I mean, they're doing some hand gesture. And so apparently it gained some traction on social media in terms of some local media voices were saying, because I, I guess it was on the, the television uh, broadcast captured some of it. And so people are like, what the heck is this? This is crazy. Um. And this should not happen. And but anyway, it was it was still not a big deal. Uh, it, like most people I talked to, 
hadn't even seen it and it wasn't even a didn't even create a, a sensation on my message board so that's a pretty good i guess uh, barometer for you know what is you know something that actually is drawing a lot of attention but anyway the greenville news writes a story on it uh their reporter who whose job is covering breaking news in greenville who should you know i would think should normally like 20 years ago would be covering like Fires. Yeah, yeah, like, or, you know, courts or whatever, you know, important <laughs> stuff. The reporter writes a story on the claw thing, and the headline is something to the effect of some longtime Clemson fans are mad at other Clemson fans for liking claw gesture or something. And the lead source or 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 a quote in the story came from somebody who identified himself as Pat McGroin. Oh god. <laughs> and so they had to walk it back and say no uh, we apologize for the error. Normally we we verify the identity of people we quote in our stories, but we didn't do that in this case. And what I I'm speculating here, but I'm guessing that it wasn't even a phone call that it was just like this reporter reached out to somebody on a uh, crowdsourced on Twitter. Hey, Clemson students, um, you know, wow. if you want to be quoted in the story, uh, so if you support the claw, just send me a DM. And so she probably got a again total speculation, but but she probably got a got a DM from Clemson fan two thousand one or something, right? And then she asked the person for his name, and he says, Pat McCroy. <laughs> wow. And it's just Man. like, what are we doing? Or, well, what, are you, or what are they doing, I guess I should say. I'm not included in that. You know, as if, as if journalism and the media isn't under fire enough, you know, by the fake news and movement yeah. and all that. Then, you know, because all we have at the end of the day, Larry, is our credibility. That's right. And once you lose it, man, I mean, you know, you and I'm sure you remember – I mean, it came under fire in the early 2000s. We we tightened up our, our ranks in the early 2000s because of the Jason Blairs of the world. Remember with yeah. the, the the fabricated stories? And, you know, and I, I was at the Wilmington Star News. We were a New York Times paper at the time. And, boy, we had to go to, like, meeting after meeting to talk about ethics. And they changed the anonymous source policies where basically, you know— <laughs> You couldn't use them unless, you know, you had like five people sign off and, you know, and that's good. That's great. You know, I'm like, okay, this is fine. You know, I have no problem with this. We're making sure everything's rock solid. And now it's just, hey, we need you to fill, you know, not even fill news hole. I don't even want to say that. We just need you to post something. Here, go talk to Pat McGroin. He just sent in a message. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go, go, like, that's become... The modern day version of shoe leather reporting, you know, decades ago, it was, hey, go see what's going on. Go hang out in this bar or whatever. Yeah. You know, go meet some people. Like you said, develop relationships. Now it's become hop on Twitter and see what people are in a tizzy over. Get catfished while you're at it. Yeah. some 20-year-old guy acting like he's a 48-year-old single mom of two. <laughs> can I, uh, Lene Kakua, can I uh, just, I don't want to draw attention to my, to my this, the point of this is not to draw attention to myself here, but you mentioning that you started the newspapers in 98, I mean, that's, that, that, was, that was my first year too. So I want to just, just by means of introduction, because again, we don't know each other. 
um, just share my sort of path. Um, I, I, uh, went to high point, uh, high point enterprise in 1998 mm-hmm. for my first job. I was really lucky to get that. Um, uh, like a was last Greer Smith there then Greer Smith was there. He's still yeah. there. <laughs> but the, the, the way I got that was, I had my heart set on a job in Augusta at the Chronicle, uh, a job, they had a job opening right as I was graduating from school. Was that John Boyette? No, Ward, Ward Clayton was there Ward at that Clayton, time. That's yeah. right, Ward Clayton. Now at the PGA Tour. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I didn't get that job, and one of my friends who was working there called me to tell me they had hired somebody else, and I was kind of devastated. And my first thought, and the best thought that I ever had in my whole life was, well, wait, I wonder where that person came from. Maybe, you know, they had to come from somewhere, so... He said, well, the guy, his name was Todd Graff, and he came from High Point, North Carolina. I had never heard of High Point. Hello, Todd. So I I, uh, I call up the sports editor, Benny Phillips, in, in High Point, and uh, he says, yeah, we're pretty pretty far into our process uh, of hiring somebody, but you feel free to send your clips, fax your clips in, uh, and I'll take a look. And so I found a fax machine and faxed in some newspaper clips and he calls about five minutes later and says, hey, can you come in for an interview? So the next day I'm driving up there. Anyway, I was there long enough to meet my wife, my now, no wife. My now wife, who had also, she had uh, graduated from High Point University. And so eight months later, the Augusta Chronicle calls and they got a college job open, open covering uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Clemson. Wife follows me down there. I'm there for five years, then... I had developed a relationship with Ken Berger, our mutual mentor, mm-hmm. um, and Malcolm DeWitt, and they yep. decided they wanted to start a Clemson Bureau instead of having Andrew Miller go up and down the interstate uh, several times a week to cover Clemson, and so got that job, and then five years later, 2008, didn't really have a whole lot of faith in the future of newspapers and moved over to to uh to tigerillustrated.com but my point is in like the vast contrast between your your road uh, since 98 i just think mine is i'm just lucky to to have been at only i guess four this is my fourth job and you're maybe on your 24th i don't know but i don't think it has anything to do with talent or skill or anything like that i think it's just i'm lucky to have been able to well to have landed where i did and in, in a place where they had a, a football team that rose to national you know championship prominence and all that and to now be in a i consider my job again luckily fortunately and knock on wood one of the most secure that there is in sports media just because of it, it it depends on, you know, a, a bunch of loyal, devoted fans who pay $10 a month and, and, and they subscribe to a website that's been ex- in existence for two decades. So, Well, Larry, you had foresight. I didn't. I was uh, full. I guess I need to completely tell you, maybe I noticed we're already running along here, but the golf week, the golf week job, that was, that was my goal. I wasn't going anywhere. Dude, I was so happy. And um, our our executive editor made a very poor editorial decision that became a national controversy. And um, 
Do you remember the, the Golf Week news cover? Oh, I forgot. Uh, refresh my memory. <sighs> oh, here we go. <laughs> first event of the 08 BGA Tour season, first round. At the end of the round, they have a new play-by-play announcer, Golf Channel. This is a big deal. Golf Channel's gotten the deal with the PGA Tour to show the early rounds, and it's Kelly Tillman. And she and Nick Faldo are in the booth, and it's at the end of the round, and they're doing their, you know, their little ha ha buddy buddy banter. And the question comes up: How are how are these kids going to stop Tiger Woods? And it's you know it's before Tiger hit that tree, and all the naked bodies fell out, and everything changed. And Nick Faldo goes gang up on him in a back alley. Kelly Tillman's go. Kelly Kilman goes, yeah, lynch him. Well. She apologizes on Sunday, and I wrote the media column. My, one of my duties at Golf Week, I didn't cover competition. I covered business, but not sticks and balls. I covered like uh, media, um, player agent relations, tournament affairs, things like that. My, one of my jobs was to write the media column, the page uh, page three column every week called Wired. So basically, I got paid to watch golf and critique it. It was great. So, you know, I, I, spoke, I spoke to Ben Wright some other people about it, you know, and she admitted that she screwed up and Tiger forgave her. And Ben said, you know, it was awful, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we went to press on Monday nights on Wednesday. Golf channel comes under fire from Al Sharpton and his group. So they suspend her. Well, I get a phone call. We need to advance this story for the next issue. How can we do it? And so I do my poking around and find out that there's sensitivity training for the employees of the Golf Channel now. And that, you know, what does this mean for the future of women? She was the first woman to ever be the main play-by-play person for golf. Well, does this set it back? I mean, you know, the story was good. Had a lot, had Dr. Harry Edwards from Cal Berkeley mm-hmm. who helped orchestrate the, um, the two athletes in Mexico City in 68 do the Black Power Salute. Interviewed him. He had great comments. Spoke with a lot of people. Story was rock solid. Now, I'm living in Charlotte. My office is in Orlando. And my boss chose to illustrate that issue. Not with the planned cover of Jason Day, but he went with a noose. Ugh. Long story short, <laughs> I had to go on outside the lines to defend this thing that I had nothing to do with. And the argument was golf often dodges questions of race. We wanted to use a jarring image to bring about a conversation. That's what I was coached up to say. Well, sponsors started backing out left and right. I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, the editor gets fired by his wife, who was the vice president of the company, turns to out publishing. She had to fire him. And um, it was awful. I got death threats tons of death threats. Sharpton called me. I mean, I had nothing to do with it. And Larry, I'm sure you get it. You know, in newspapers, you know, you, you write a story and people think you wrote the headline too. Right. I, I, I wrote the story, but I didn't have anything to do with that cover. But, um, fast forward about six months later and I'm plugging along thinking things are great. Even though my older colleagues are telling me the sky's about to fall. I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I get a phone call from the new editor who was, you know, former peer who had been promoted. And he said, listen, he said, we lost blankety blankety blank last quarter in advertising. We've got to eliminate 17 positions by seniority. Unfortunately, you're number 17. Jeez. So, uh, 
that's how I ended up going into sales at the minor league baseball team. <laughs> I had a little bit of a stain on me. People were kind of afraid because of the connection with golf week at the time, because that's what people thought of. And, and that, that, that publication still hasn't recovered. It's now part of USA Today, and it doesn't come out every week. It comes out once a month. So, uh, so yeah. So I, uh, I just had some bad luck with that, I guess. <laughs> and then, you know, losing my job at the Journal, that's when Warren Buffett decided he didn't want to be in newspapers anymore. I think of Ed Harden, three-time sports writer of the year in North Carolina. He was let go last year. What is he it's, doing now? Fishing. <laughs> Texted with him well, today. That's good. He's he's coming by. He's playing Harbor Town in um, November, so we're supposed to get together. He's going to come by and sit in on the show one day. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone Griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith, and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to Uptown Realty SC. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. You mentioned that your ability to develop and cultivate relationships really helped you as you were doing all kinds of different things, sales, radio, all that stuff, TV. Do you think, like in in newspapers, newspapers were and are, I guess, filled with introverts. Not all, but a lot of soft-spoken people who are kind of awkward and yeah. Weird. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Do you think that contributed and is contributing to the demise of newspapers in that you don't have as a lot of people who are it's kind of a contradiction, you know, you're a you're a journalist and you're supposed to go out and 
and yeah. rub elbows with people and develop relationships, but you're kind of not wired to do that in a lot of cases. Not not all, of course. I mean, there maybe I always, I always take it like this, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. I know exactly those people you're talking about. The newsrooms are always full of them. People who were introverts, but they had insatiable curiosities, mm-hmm. and they were very awkward when it came to exploring and trying to understand those curiosities. And and they often they their social skills would be different. They would come across either really aggressively or just even shady, and they and they meant no harm. There was no malice. It was just they were introverts who wanted to know things. And communicating with them was difficult. And, and and to your point, I think I think there might be some truth to that. Because the only people who are succeeding now in print are brands. Think think about that now. Mm-hmm. Or they've evolved into something beyond it. I mean you have to be able to go out and, and talk to people. And, and, you know, what was the, the number one, the most valuable thing other than a typewriter or a laptop at a newspaper was a context list. Yep. And you cultivate that context list by, as you mentioned earlier, hanging out at this bar, going to this restaurant or going to this, you know, place to hang out and meeting people and knowing people and networking. But maybe a reluctance to do that by some people who would rather just be sitting at their computer reading and trying to make something out of it. I don't know where I'm going with this, but there's something to it. I think you're onto something there. And now with, you know, a lot of these national, not a lot, but some of these national sports media voices, uh, you know, instead of developing, you know, relationships with coaches and such, I swear they sit on Twitter for 17 hours a day and react to everything. Well, here's a good example. Here's a good example of something. My, and, and he's a journalist, Mike Wilborn, with his comments on Lane Kiffin. What were those? I haven't, I haven't even seen them. He, they're doing their deal on PTI, and he just starts going off about Lane Kiffin being an embarrassment. Why would anybody hire him? Blah, 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 blah. He's never met Lane Kiffin. He's never covered a game involving Lane Kiffin. And I'm not here to defend him necessarily, but I thought back about it. Well, Alabama's Alabama 2021 because of what Lane Kiffin has done, oh, what yeah. he did while he was there. When he was at Florida Atlantic, they won. He was there three years. They won two CUSA titles. You know, uh, it, uh, and you know they're they're going back to a narrative created by Al Davis. They're going back to a narrative fueled when he abruptly left Tennessee to go home to his dream job. He's done nothing since then, other than humble himself to be an assistant coach. For Nick Saban, and make no mistake about it, you have to humble yourself. To humble yourself to take a group of five job at a program nobody's really heard of north of you know Florida. I uh, to to come out and say he's been an embarrassment. That's that's an example of national media helicoptering in and delivering a smoking hot take on something it has no intimate knowledge of. What do you? What's been the tenor of your callers? Just sort of the general sentiment of, of of how things have happened at Clemson so far this year. Total, totally unanticipated events with their offense not just struggling but looking really bad. Yeah, the the temperature. Um, well, you know it better, but on on our end of the state, people are more just kind of shell shocked. 
you know, it's, they're, they're down. I mean, it's, it's like you get so used to something and after a while you get it ripped away and they're still trying to wrap their arms around it. I mean, they can still win the ACC. They, they can, and, and they're, they're grasping onto that because that is something that's not a small feat to win your conference, but they're realizing now they're having to, to reboot a little bit. And, you know, and, and Nick Saban did it. Nick Saban did it. Clemson blew his doors off. What was it, 20, 2018, 2019? Three years ago. And now, yeah, and he rebounds two years later with one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. Uh, it's just what they're going to have to do. The biggest question for me, and we're kind of getting off topic here. No, the biggest question okay. for me is, are we going to learn about Dabo? What are we going to, we're going to learn more about Dabo as a coach in the next 12 months than we've learned in the past 10 years. Yeah, I think so. I, absolutely. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about that Kiffin uh, background in Alabama, how he's helped sort of start the transformation, is uh, Chris Lowe and Alex Scarborough did a, for ESPN, they did a great story on, on that background, uh, his hiring mm-hmm. at Alabama. And people forget, like, so the natural reaction to Clemson fans uh, upon reading that story is that's what we need to do. Dabo needs to go out and do, do what Saban did and find a, a Lane Kiffin. Well, the thing is, two, two pieces of important context here that were in that story that I found the two most interesting parts well, the first we already, most people already know, like when when he hired Kiffin in fourteen, it was ripped up and down by everybody. Oh, yeah. Everybody, what is he doing? He's lost his mind. He's getting that guy. It was basically everybody was doing what Wilbon is doing right now. He was the first student at Saban School for Wayward Coaches. Yeah, but the second interesting part that I didn't realize is that. He was not a spread RPO coach when he came in. He had to learn it on the fly. He was a more traditional. Yeah, at at, uh, Tennessee and Southern Cal. And so he had to learn on the fly. And so what my answer to to Clemson fans is, okay, with that in mind, like, you know, the equivalent of that right now would be Dabo going out and hiring a, I guess, somewhat disgraced (laughs) former head coach and one who is going to be learning on the job, you know, while he's building this newfangled sort of modernized offense. And I don't even know what the next phase of modern offense is because we're kind of at the, (laughs) we're kind of at peak modern spread offense, aren't we? Well, and does Dabo have the cachet to do that, even with two national titles? Right. To go in and, I mean. (sighs) I guess the point is, is people, Clemson fans want, or some of them do, I, I should say probably a minority I'm saying we need to do something different he needs to go out and find a proven offensive mind who's doing what Lane's, Lane Kiffin is doing well who is that like you know I, I don't know and it's not that's that's kind of difficult to do to go out and find a, a proven mind to is going to bring Art Bryles in to run a space age offense yeah and that, <laughs> that's just not happening and I don't think you know I, I think changes are coming I don't think that he's going to get rid of Tony Elliott I could be wrong uh, I don't but, think he'll get rid of him. He, if if there's a change, it'll be in, under Tony Elliott's terms. I, yeah. don't, I don't see him. I don't see I don't him know. making wholesale changes to make wholesale changes. He's he's not that guy. 
and if, and if there is something done, and I guess I'll go ahead and say it here. I mean, shoot, I've got nobody to be accountable for. I, I think it would make it look at least like it was Tony Elliott's move. That I think Dabo would be that loyal. Right. You know, I think the the thing that maybe, you know, that Saban has done, that I think Kirby Smart has done as well, you know, all these analyst positions they have under these massive support staffs, you know, Saban has brought in, you know, pretty seasoned minds who are sort of coming in to learn and help. Whereas I think Dabo, it's been more weighted toward former players who mm-hmm. are done playing football and who want to sort of get their start. I think there are a couple of exceptions there. Ted Roof is is, is on the staff right now. Um, Terry Bowden was here for years before going on to uh, Louisiana Monroe. Um, but I, I mean, Dabo doesn't need my advice or want it. But what I would Talk do about is, guys with opposite careers, Ted Roof and Terry Bowden. <laughs> Terry Bowden had an undefeated season. Ted oh, Roof had a man. winless season. <laughs> no doubt. But what I would do is I would go out and find somebody to come in and be an analyst, uh, you know, uh, an NFL guy, you know, to come in and help add some new ideas to freshen it up. That's what I think this offense needs is a is a refresh instead of a fundamental overhaul. Like Saban did. Yeah. He, and I, I can't say enough. I'm not a Saban guy. I'm neither for or against, you know, but the, the mark of a great coach is his ability to adapt and evolve. And that's why I've always said that Mike Krzyzewski at Duke is the greatest coach of any sport ever. What he's done for the past 40 years under so many different conditions, not only on the court, but when it comes to recruiting and dealing with young men and dealing with one and done and dealing with no one and done and administration administrations. And I think Saban falls right next to him as one. A. I really do. Yeah. And the other part has been it longer. Yeah. The, the mind blowing thing to me is that the two most distinguished defensive minds in the game, college or pro, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick ended up being known just as much for sort of modern offense. You know, the the the, the Patriots were spreading it out, man. They weren't. Oh yeah. That wasn't three yards in a cloud of dust and play action. It was. That was. That was something different that they were doing. Look more Julian like Julian Edelman and those guys running yeah. mesh patterns and That's all that right. stuff. That's right. And then Nick Saban. I mean. And it, you know it's 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 accurate to say Kiffin sort of set it in motion, but the guys who have really let it catch fire have been uh, Mike Loxley and Steve Sarkeesian, and we'll see what O'Brien does. But it doesn't seem like they're slowing down that much. No. Um, and and what Kiffin probably did was make them marketable to truly elite quarterbacks, such as. Um, Tua. Tua and 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 Bryce Young and I would say Jalen Hurts in that category too, even though he didn't do that all that well. I mean, hell, he was twenty six and freaking two as a starter <laughs> there. So yeah, that's I'd say that qualifies. But amazing, just amazing. Do you think we were talking about this when I came on your show earlier this week? Are you picking Ole Miss? Oh man, you know, <laughs> I the more I think about it, yeah, because. You know that over the past 13 years, Alabama's only lost five home games. Mm-hmm. And three of those were the teams that had Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. 
and I think Ole Miss might have one in the making. So I, I'm starting to lean my hat. Also, I didn't know this until I got a little deeper into the research. Alabama's offensive line, 130 FBS teams. Alabama's offensive line is ranked like 70 to 79 in different categories. That's, yeah. that's, that's not going to get it done. And Young, as, as good as he's looked, has been pressured a lot so far. Yes. Yes. And what happens if he goes down? Who's who's the backup? I, I don't I even know. Because, no I mean, we knew who Bryce Young was last year. We knew who Mac Jones was the year before. But we're not hearing anything about a Bama backup, the next great quarterback. Maybe I'm missing something. I, I don't know yet. Was it Nilro or I forgot his name. I'll, I'll look it up. But I, I'm with you on Ole Miss. Uh, I, well, I don't know if I'm with you on picking them to win, but I'm with you on absolutely them giving Alabama absolute fits Saturday night. You know, it, I keep saying this. Their defense has improved so much, and it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be good. Just good enough. Get one stop. Get a turnover. Because I don't see Alabama stopping Ole Miss. I really don't. It's, it's not a cliche. It's not hyperbole. You know, I, I don't see them stopping Ole Miss's offense. And all Ole Miss has to do is make one stop. One. Because it's, it's not about field position, Larry. It's, it's points per possession now. That's right. So just get that one stop and deny them any points on a possession, and you're probably going to win the game. Yeah, I, I could be. This could end up being a stupid statement, but if I'm ranking teams right now based on what I have seen, and I don't do common opponent, whatever, like, you know, <laughs> schedule, I, I just, I go on what I see, you know. I, I, I would have Ole Miss in my top five. Absolutely. I would have Ole Miss and Iowa both. I'm high on Iowa. I'm very high on Iowa. And Arkansas. You don't think Arkansas is due for a reality check Saturday between the heads? We're going to find out some. We're going to learn. We're going to learn. My my question is this. Can Georgia score in Arkansas? Good question. Good question. Georgia's offensive line has looked better the last few weeks, but this might be a bigger test or as big of I don't know, maybe as big as the test they faced against Clemson. I mean, Arkansas's defensive line is pretty good. I think um, I think this would be a bigger test than Clemson simply because of the way Arkansas runs the football mm-hmm. overall as a team. And JT Daniels, he's supposed to play, but he, I, I don't know if he's 100%. Yeah, he's yeah, been... It's been a great weekend, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just want to <laughs> call him Florida. <laughs> Yeah, I almost want to call in sick for the uh, Boston College game. <laughs> sit, sit on the couch. No, you can't because that's a pretty good BC team. But also, I think they might be in for a reality check. We shall see. Well, Scott Hamilton, man, it's been a pleasure uh, learning more about you and, and uh, getting to know you. And uh, we'll... I'm, I'm not the skater. We are friends. <laughs> well, we'll have to keep in touch. Yeah, man, I'm happy to be on. And um Anytime you need anything, give me a shout. But uh, I'm very thankful for the invitation to be on this podcast. Okay, thanks so much for Scott Hamilton for sharing so much of his valuable time. Also, thanks to our very loyal sponsors. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. Really, really appreciate it. Everybody be safe this weekend. Be back next week. Cheers. <laughs>